they wanted people who were experienced. Well, that's that's a lovely sentiment, but when you're in a, a nursing shortage, how can you get experience if you don't get offered a job to learn um, and you're not exposed? So I think um, one of the keys really in correcting that is the education or the exposure to it in the schools of nursing. What do we need to understand about the specialty of nephrology nursing and what's Nephrology Nurses Week all about? Let's talk about it with Dr. Angie Kotasaka, the president of the American Nephrology Nurses Association, right here on this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always, not just sometimes, always about you, your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. And if you want to help other people find the show, please consider leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help increase the show's reach. And consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-A-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I appreciate your support in any way you would like to help out keeping the Nurse Keith show on the air and going strong. Please head over to nursekeith.com to the podcast drop down menu to see the show notes for this episode. And like I said, we are here with Dr. Angie Kotasaka. She is the president of the Nephrology Nurses Association. And well, that's the American Nephrology Nurse Association. And Dr. Kotasaka, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks for taking the time. And I always find renal nursing and renal um, medicine in general fascinating. And so nephrology is just, I think, super interesting. So what is it for you about nephrology that makes it so fascinating? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, I appreciate the time just to talk about nephrology nursing and why I love it. When I was a brand new nurse, in, um, actually, I was working on a med surge floor. And I saw a nurse come down to our hall one night pushing this dialysis machine. And I was fascinated by it because in nursing school, I did not receive very much renal education. We had a lecture on a Monday and a test on Friday, and that was about the extent of the kidneys. And so because I was nosy, I went and asked her, I was like, what are you doing? What is this all about? Tell me about it. And from that moment on, I was hooked. The nephrologist happened to come up on the floor. And I asked him if he had any positions, and that was over 30 years ago. And I still love nephrology nursing as much today as I did in the very beginning. But I think what really attracted me to it, I like hands-on and I like working with equipment. So, you know, ICU nurses and ER nurses, they all get excited about working with pumps and stuff. I did as well, but I also enjoyed the fluid-based balance, and really understanding how the kidneys help all the other organs in the the human body. And so between those two components, I just felt like it was a calling for me that this is what I was supposed to do and learn about it and, you know, share my knowledge. Yeah. And do you think, do you think renal health in general is on most healthcare providers radar like is does renal get the get the attention that it deserves in terms of you know it's a really important part of human physiology i i don't um i think you will see you know we have chronic kidney disease 34 million americans have it many of them don't know they have it it's mm. about 1 in 7 um and so pcps treat the various um, disease states, but it all ties back to the kidneys ultimately. I mean, the kidneys is, you know, our filter, and so we need it very much so. So I don't think that the medical community as a whole 
pays enough attention to what they do and how it impacts the kidneys, both immediate and long term. Mm-hmm. And is some of it, I'm sure, related to the amount of renal disease out there? I'm sure a lot of it's due to diabetes, right? Because if diabetes is kind of high on the list of the diseases that have a big impact on a, a large number of Americans, any of us who've been around understand that, you know, chronically high glucose levels leads to damage of the nephron units. And looking back on nursing school and thinking back on nephron anatomy and physiology, it's pretty fascinating. And those tiny, tiny little little tubules in the nephron units, um, they're, they are important and they also get damaged. So is diabetes a big piece of this? It is. So diabetes, mm-hmm. hypertension, high blood pressure. Oh, of course, right. Um, obesity, uh, cardiac issues, mm-hmm. and genetic anomalies, I would say, is probably the top five. What about the obesity piece? Um, what, what do you want to say about that? We know it's a problem here. Well, I think obesity links to um, the diabetes, and so they kind of go hand in hand. So left uncontrolled, it damages the kidneys. That's not to say that um, it is by itself, but it certainly is a comorbid condition that we frequently see in in the renal space. So in a diabetic person, the risks of cardiac issues and then diabetes and pancreatic issues are just, that's a given that we're going to see those in large numbers. That's correct. Okay. Diabetes and hypertension certainly are the top two. Yeah. Now, in terms of nephrology nursing in general, what is it that um, you would like to say about the the specialty itself? I know you're the president of the American Nephrology Nurse Association. What what's kind of on the radar of the association right now? What are you all thinking about? What feels really important to communicate about it? I think first I would like to say that um, nephrology nursing really has provided me a lifetime of friends through ANNA. It feels like home week when we all get together at various meetings or family reunion, if you will. It's provided professional and personal developments um, far beyond anything that I ever thought or imagined when I first got out of nursing school. And it's allowed me to touch patients in ways that are very meaningful and they are long lasting, unlike working in a hospital where you have an event, they're in, they're out, they go home. You really begin to develop that unique relationship with the patients. And so I I would say that, there are several things that really are on the top of ANA this year, particularly. Nurses needs to have a voice at every healthcare decision-making table, in my opinion, in the world. We have many people that are in lots of organizations making decisions about nursing and in healthcare who don't understand nursing and what we do. So it's really important for us. Um, as an association to try and do our best to have nursing at every decision-making table possible. We collaborate with a lot of different uh, associations and coalitions to help get that word out and encourage nursing to have a seat at a decision-making table. It's so critically important. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, we'll probably, uh, maybe about health policy, I can tell you, But we want to go and advocate on the Hill to our legislators, you know, please sponsor various bills that would impact nursing, uh, not only nephrology nursing, nursing in general, but also our patients. And today, there are three members of Congress that are nurses, only three. I think we need to change that. You know, the more people that understand what nurses really do, I think the better off healthcare will be in the end. Um, So that's one. Two, safe working environments and staffing ratios. 
It's really very important right now. There's a lot of talk about safe staffing ratios or unsafe staffing, unsafe work environments in the literature, just in common conversation in our open forum. Um, if you're a member of ANNA, you can go into our open forum and just have a connection with 7,000 other nephrology nurses just like you and ask a question. It's a safe space. And it's, it saddens me to see some of the stories that we hear about unsafe working environments. So that's important. Our legislative agenda, right now we have 12 items on our legislative agenda for this year that we are focused on. Uh, we have a very robust health policy page on our website that lists all of those and what they are, and the bill numbers and everything. Um, I mentioned this already, but collaborating not only with just other healthcare providers, but the industry to advocate for our patients, our nurses, even other healthcare providers. Uh, we provide education that's important to us to continue to be the premier source for nephrology nurses and education of nephrology nurses. And then I would say um, also advocating for nurses to work at the top of their licensure and delegate appropriately. Um, we we believe that you know the registered professional nurse has the the ability and the accountability to delegate appropriately, both to uh, clinical and non-clinical individuals. And we believe that it's very important for those nurses to be an active part of training, which is a key component in nephrology nursing. We train patients to do dialysis at home, whether that's home hemo or peritoneal dialysis. And so it's important for that nurse to have accountability and, and very close oversight of that training curriculum for the patients, as opposed to, I don't know, somebody coming in from some external forces and doing the training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking right now at the Anna Nurses 2022 Health Policy Agenda that you mentioned. I downloaded it from your website. And there's quite a bit here. Um, it's monitoring and responding to proposed policies in, in Medicare end-stage renal, renal disease prospective payment system and quality improvement program. There's quite a bit here about Medicare. And then there's some stuff about dialysis specifically. Um, there's research, you know, advocating for more funding for research into renal disease. You've got quite a bit here advocating for the roles of nurses in improving people's health in communities and the social determinants of health. So you have quite a bit on here, um, including legislative policies that promote resolution on racial justice for communities of color, et cetera. So it is a pretty robust legislative agenda. And your page actually is, it's ananurse.org, A-N-N-A nurse.org slash advocacy. So, and I noticed you even have very regular Capitol Hill updates that we can read about what's going on on the Hill down in Congress. So advocacy is, sounds like it's a, it's a big piece of this for you. And um, we don't really, well, some of us learn about advocacy in school. Some of us don't. Um, here in New Mexico, I think in a lot of other states as well, when there's a, um, you know, when when the state legislature is in session, we bring student nurses and professional nurses to the, the state house here in Santa Fe to talk with legislators. So we can, we can educate ourselves and educate others about this process, but it can feel kind of intimidating, can it? It can. And one of the things that we do um, at our meetings, and we'll do it at a chapter level. We we will come and talk to you. Whatever we have, um, we have advocacy groups, so you can join various groups, professional groups within A and A that's important to you. So you can be part of the health policy advocacy group or CKD, whatever your specialty may be, transplantation. But we do take the time every year to educate nurses on how to advocate on the hill and talk to their legislatures. You can even, um, on the website, you can send an email or a letter to your legislator, whoever that is, will help you find it. It's really simple. 
Um, and, you know, they want to hear because we are the experts. We are the experts in nephrology and nephrology nursing. And so they are always curious to understand what we as constituents are going through out in our own day-to-day lives. In addition, you know, we have these health policy workshops throughout some once or twice a year. So if you're in person, you can do those in person. Uh, we also hold them virtually. And we will take nephrology nurses through every step of the way on how to prepare for a visit, what to say, have a fact sheet ready. Um, we can do some practicing so that you feel comfortable. And then we just have so, all of our chapters have health policy reps. So um, ANA has over 70 chapters across the U.S. and its territories. So you can attend those in person. Sometimes they offer virtual meetings. But there's always a health policy rep at each one of the chapters as well that you could communicate if you wanted to, to learn more about it. Good to know. And what would you say about the specialty in terms of nurses who are interested in it? And I'm thinking of brand new nurses for one, you know, who that's something that fascinates them or uh, more experienced nurses. So in your view from having been in the you know in this world for a while what does it take to find your way and get a foothold in nephrology nursing if it's of interest to you that's um, a great question i certainly would advocate if you have some interest to you know connect with us through the website we can get you in touch with local resources who could help you navigate some of those waters But I think really where it starts is in our nursing colleges and and the education. They need more renal experience. They need to be exposed to it. What they know is what they see when they're doing their clinicals out during their last couple of years of nursing school. And many times they're not exposed. Now, there are some pockets that Uh, rotations are starting to happen in some of the dialysis clinics to get that exposure, but many times that doesn't occur. So um, what we try to do is to get in front of universities and students early in their career and expose them to nephrology nursing, what it's about, what can they learn from it, how they can grow within it, and how they can get access to additional education. I think. a lot of nurses that you see transition over from hospital-based nursing into nephrology is probably um, more ICU, emergency room, cardiac. You see a lot of those nurses, I mean, just from a mechanically inclined perspective, many times they cross over quite nicely. That's not to say that anybody couldn't learn it. They can. And uh, when I first started, you, they wanted people who were experienced. Well, that's, that's a lovely sentiment. Isn't it? But when you're <laughs> a, a nursing shortage, how can you get experience if you don't get offered a job to learn um, and you're not exposed? So I think um, one of the keys really in correcting that is the education or the exposure to it in the schools of nursing. Mm-hmm. Now, do you feel that new nurses can break into nephrology right out of the gate? It's so it's possible to do so. Of course, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the dialysis providers have very robust education programs. All of them do, and they're quite lengthy. In addition to that, ANA has in their publications you know, the core curriculum for nephrology nursing, uh, contemporary nephrology nursing, those get updated routinely and they're quite comprehensive. You can learn everything you ever wanted to know about nephrology nursing through those publications. Um, But yes, they could be successful. You just have to find somebody who can mentor them through the process. When, when I first started, um, I felt like even though I'd been a nurse for a few years, I truly felt like I did. I was inept until after about six months or so, because it's complicated. It's a lot of things that you have to keep in your mind and 
and in the forefront. And then all of a sudden the light clicked and it was like, oh, I understand that now. And so I would say that if a new nurse comes into nephrology to give yourself a year, at least give yourself a year before you decide if you love it or you don't love it. That's fair. I think that's fair in almost any specialty, really. And you've mentioned dialysis a number of times. And, you know, most dialysis patients go to a dialysis center, you know, and they they go usually, I what I understand is like three times a week. It's fairly common that people do that. And and my assumption is, like you mentioned earlier, that they get to know their patients because if a patient's coming in three times a week, every week, year in and year out, then you're going to establish a rapport and have relationships. And that's really sweet. What other environments do nephrology nurses end up working in outside of dialysis? Um, so actually, there, it's quite diverse. You can mm-hmm. be in academia, uh, manufacturing, um, physician offices, at the state, federal level, um, pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. You can be um, exposed to it, you know, in the communities. So I, I would say there's lots of different avenues, whether it's um, dialysis, whether you do hemo or PD. And you did mention the, the hemodialysis going into the clinic three times mm-hmm. a week, but there's also peritoneal dialysis. And let's not forget about transplant. Transplant is also a treatment for renal failure. So, you know, there, there's no cure. So your choices are delay the progression, get a transplant, go on dialysis of some, some sort. But it is, mm-hmm. a, it is a lifelong process. And so there are so many different avenues that I think uh, nephrology nursing has. They can be in administration. You can be... Um, you know, a nurse leader. And that's actually where I started my leadership journey was I started out as, you know, a staff nurse, and then I went to a head nurse. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that you brought us around to, to what, how you got into this particular space, because when we come back from the break, I want to talk about your career trajectory because your CV is incredibly impressive. And I want to talk about Nephrology Nurses Week. And I know you have some other specific thoughts about the nursing shortage. And I have a couple other questions for you along the way. So does that sound like a good plan? That sounds lovely. Great. So hang in there with us, folks, and we'll be right back with this episode of the Nurse Keith Show, speaking with Dr. Angie Kurosaka, the president of the American Nephrology Nurses Association. We will be right back. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend, Angie Kurosaka. Dr. Angie Kurosaka, the president of the American Nephrology Nurses Association. And Angie, right before the break, you mentioned a little snippet of how you got into this and how you became a nurse leader. So I know you're a you're a nephrology nursing executive and you've done case management and utilization review. And gosh, you've done You've done so much, and you've been a vice president of healthcare services at Molina Healthcare. You've been around the block. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the trajectory of your career. What's it been like? You know, what, what's a few highlights of, you know, what it's been the, the, the journey and the process for you. Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I was intrigued when the the dialysis nurse came up on the floor, the acute dialysis nurse. And so I happened to see that nephrologist and just asked him if he had a position. He said, yes, it was an independent clinic at the time. Um, And then that was during the time when dialysis organizations started consolidating. So all through mergers and acquisitions. So I worked for a company for a number of years and started moving up that ladder pretty quickly. I had one clinic, then I had four clinics, then I had 12. 
um, I started doing other things like uh, part of implementations and going to other facilities and assessing them. Um, in 1998, um, I relocated to the Birmingham, Alabama area. I'm from Alabama originally, but I moved from Tennessee to Birmingham uh, to become a regional director, which then covered Alabama and Mississippi and a little piece of Louisiana. And continued on that journey, became a vice president uh, not long after that. And then uh, about five years into that role, the company that I had worked for for 15 years consolidated with another large dialysis organization called DaVita. Um, and I stayed with DaVita until 2010. And I left there. Um, and then I thought, well, if I'm leaving the nephrology space for a little bit, I'm going to do some exploration. So I became a chief nurse of a healthcare audit recovery company that was interesting work. And then I moved into health plans. And the reason that I moved into health plans is when I went back to school to get my master's degree, I specialized in case management. And it was interesting because I really didn't know what I wanted to specialize in. And the, the associate dean said, what do you do? And I told her I worked with patients who had kidney disease. And she said, case management is working with cohorts of patients. And your cohort happens to be patients who have kidney disease. I was like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. So fast forward then, I never really thought I would use the degree. And then I went to work for um, one of the largest Medicaid managed care companies in the U.S. And I stayed with them for a number of years. Um, running their population health for several different markets. I did work at Molina doing something similar work, as you mentioned. And then uh, recently this year, I transitioned back into direct nephrology. I never really got away from it. So even when I was at the health plans, I was constantly looking for patients who uh, potentially could have chronic kidney disease so that we could go out and educate them about staying healthy and prolonging their kidney disease progression. Mm. But I had an opportunity to come back and the role that I have now was really, I think, written for me. So it takes all of my skills and years of nephrology nursing, and it takes all of the case management experience that I have and the population health experience, and it blended them together. And so in my current role today, um, I work for um, U.S. Renal Care on a, a, the value-based care side of the business, and we're working to implement value-based care contracts because, as you know, just in the literature and in the news, value-based care is, is taking a, a larger presence in healthcare today, and I think that will continue to be so. So, um, yeah, that's what I do. It's a great story and trajectory. And very briefly, could you just encapsulate for us what value-based care is for listeners who might be thinking, well, what really, what is that? <laughs> uh, the easiest way I can describe it is, um, you know, first of all, kidney disease is a federally funded program through the government. So the majority of our patients have Medicare as their primary insurer. Some may have Medicaid, some may have Medicare Advantage, and some may have commercial insurance, but that's a very small uh, or private pay insurance. That's a very small amount. So CMS will give these companies who do value-based care, they'll say, we'll give you a set amount of money to take care of this person, the whole person for the whole year, and you're responsible for everything. So if you spend all of that money, on that person and you still have more care needs, then you have to pay for that. If you spend less than what we give you, then you can keep that as your profit, if you will. And the margins are very small, just like they are in, in the dialysis space anyway. The margins in dialysis are, are really quite small compared to some of the other industries. And so it incentivizes three people it incentivizes the patient because we want them to stay healthy. 
it incentivizes the the dialysis provider um and it incentivizes the nephrologist to all work collaboratively together to help this patient be in the best health that they can be where they are today thanks for explaining that that's that's helpful yeah um just that that model we hear about it a lot and i think it's good for us to be reminded of what that truly means and i guess this would be a whole nother conversation that we don't have time for. But when, when we think, okay, so if there's incentives for the patient to stay well, then that should bring all parties to the table to want to work towards that same goal. So in a perfect world, then that would happen. So that's, you know, in a perfect world again, that's what I'm saying. Um, but I see from your CV too, you, you have your, associates and bachelors and masters of science in nursing you have your dnp from university of alabama and that was 11 years ago you got your dnp in 2011 and something i wanted to mention that some nurses listening might be interested in is that you belong to many organizations anna obviously a and a and your state organization alabama state nurse association and the a and a but it's also the American College of Healthcare Executives, Case Management Society of America, Sigma Theta Tau. You belong to a lot of organizations. Briefly, what, what do you see as the value of professional memberships? And what, what do you get out of being a member of so many organizations? I believe as a nurse, we should never stop learning or just as a human being, but particularly as a nurse, we should never stop learning and we should be inquisitive. Uh, you know, things change, processes change, new technology changes. And uh, these professional associations are important to me for various reasons. So um, I told you, you know, I have a degree in case management, so it's important for me to stay attached to that. It's important to me as a nurse leader or a nurse executive to be attached to other healthcare executives because I learn from each one of these associations in a different way. I think it's so critically important for nurses to belong to their specialty nursing association, whatever specialty they're in, uh, certainly in the American Nurses Association, which then gets you your state nursing association as well, because nurses have a bigger voice when there are more of us together. And so I get out of it um, a lot of personal satisfaction, but I get a lot of knowledge out of it. You know, I get a lot of journals, peer-reviewed journals that I can read and stay up on current processes and what's going on in the world. Um, but I also, have, like I said at the beginning, I made a lot of friends. My best friends all have come from a and I just think it expands mm-hmm. your network and it expands who, uh, who you can reach and what you do. It expands and gives you the opportunity to talk about what you do to other people that maybe they didn't consider that. Um, so I think the value of it pays back tenfold. In addition to you get, you know, continuing or NCPDs now that used to be called CEUs. Um, and so, you know, in some states, nurses have to have so many hours to continue to maintain their nursing licensure. But I also have certifications in a lot of things too. Uh, so I'm, you know, a certified nephrology nurse, a certified case manager, and a, a certified nurse executive. And all of those require me to have these extra credits throughout so many years so that I can maintain my certification and maintain that highest standard. I think it um, it invests in myself and it shows people who I meet that hey, you know what, this person's really serious about Mm -hmm. their career and what they do. And they are involved in a lot of stuff to make sure that they stay on top of what's going on in the world. And looking at your your CV, because as a career coach and I work with nurses and I help them write their resumes and, and CVs, you have all the elements in yours that I look for and that I want to nurture my clients and other nurses to have. You know, you have, you have obviously all your positions, you know, and you describe what you've done in all your positions. You also have 
a list of your skills and what you call a benefit statement, which I often call a professional summary, which is a good thing to have on your CV. You also have um, all of your, what we just talked about, your education, your professional memberships, your licensures and certifications. And the other thing you have on here is publications. So being published is an awesome thing to have. And that also demonstrates expertise and interest and curiosity and being out there in the world, you know, going beyond just doing your job. You know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're looking for more opportunities to be involved. And the other thing I notice on here is being on the board of directors of different organizations. And you've done this so much that you have a whole section of your CV on board of directors experience. So what would you say about being on a board of directors of an organization? What does that do for you and your career and also just you as your sense of yourself as a professional? You know, I knew from the time I was 15 years old that I wanted to be a nurse and I wanted to not only be a nurse, I wanted to be a director of nursing. So that really started my nursing career early and I've never wavered from that. So that's really been the driving force all along. Uh, The opportunity to sit on the various board of directors gives me a different viewpoint uh, from being, you know, on the line staff versus the middle management versus the executive management or executive leadership. The boards that, and I also said at the beginning that A&A has an interest, we need to have nurses at the table. So being on boards gets a nurse at a table and I can represent not only nursing as a specialty, but nephrology nursing and bring that uh, nephrology nursing perspective to what I'm doing. I'm currently on the, um, it's called the Board of Visitors for the Capstone College of Nursing. So that's my way of giving back to them because they've poured so much into me throughout my educational journey. Um, One of my mentors, she was my uh, immediate supervisor. And at the time, I still had an associate's degree. I'd been working all these years and in leading teams and teams of teams with an associate's degree. And she said to me, you are one of the best operators that I've ever worked with, but nobody's not going to take you seriously if you don't finish your education. And that was the push that I needed to go back and finish my education, which is what I did. That's great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of education when it makes sense for, for the person to pursue what they're considering because it's expensive and takes time and blood, sweat, and tears. So you just want to make a good choice when you're choosing an educational pathway. Um, before we wind down, I could talk with you about your career for a lot longer. Tell me a little bit about Nephrology Nurses Week. This episode is coming out right on the cusp of Nephrology Nurses Week. And what should we understand about it? And what happens during that particular week? Well, Nephrology Nurses Week is really, um, it is our event of the year, if you will. It's our time. It's always observed during the second week of September. And it's a time for nephrology nurses to reflect on, you know, all of our accomplishments, to celebrate ourselves and each other, um, all of our colleagues who contribute and advance the specialty of nephrology nursing. And so the theme this year, each each president of ANNA has a theme for Nephrology Nurses Week, and mine happens to be Nephrology Nurses Give Hope. And hope is helping others through positive empowerment. That's been very important to me over the last uh, few years, in particular with COVID. Um, it, COVID stretched every healthcare, <laughs> every healthcare person in the world uh, in, in ways unimaginable. And so, you know, nephrology nursing was not immune to that. And so I think it's, it's just, um, it's important that we raise each other up. You know, nurses are supposed to be the most trusted profession, and we've gone from the highest of the highs in 2020 to maybe some of not so high in 2021 when things were still going on. And so nurses need to know that they're valued and they're important. 
and that they make a difference and that they are trusted. And doing that in a positive way helps everybody. It helps in our communities. It helps in our schools. It helps in our in our work environment. It helps in our health care. And it can help also, you know, at the highest levels of Congress. So providing that, helping other people through and bringing that positive energy is so critically important. Now more than ever, really. Um, and so that's that's the thing for this year. That's great. Hope, helping others through positive empowerment. That's that's a good one. I really like that. And my my last question I want to explore with you before we wind down is the nursing shortage. I know you have some thoughts about it. And we're recording this you know, right at the end of August of 2022. What what are you thinking in terms of the shortage and where do you see this going in the, you know, relatively near future? The nursing shortage. Well, ever since I graduated nursing school, we've had periods of nursing shortages and then it would get a little better and it would get worse and it would get better. So it's obviously very cyclical, but it seems like now with everybody living longer and aging, uh, the supply obviously can't keep up with the demand. So a few things, and it's even part of our legislative agendas, we need more nursing faculty and the ability to teach more nurses and to train more nurses to get them out working sooner rather than later. Um, so, I, you know, a lot of nursing faculty in schools are all dealing with that. So that's one area I think can help. The other thing I believe um, is creating that safe working environment and making people feel appreciated so that they stay. It costs uh, time and money and um, just upheaval in a facility when you lose an employee and you got to start from scratch. So it, it really creates chaos for everybody involved. You know, I think what concerns me about nephrology nursing in particular is that the average age of the nephrology nurse is 45 years old. And that's, that is concerning because what happens when all of us start to retire, there's not enough new people coming into the specialty to sustain it. And so, you know, I think it's important for all of the dialysis organizations to come together, um, you know, and, and advocate together as a voice that we need better, uh, safer working conditions for the staff. We need better education, um, more education so that we can turn out nurses sooner and that they're prepared to take on these, these specialty roles of nursing. Um, and then funding nursing research also will help, I think, with the shortage because we may find new and innovative ways of doing things that we didn't do 10 years ago. So I think those are a few things. Um, COVID really, really placed a a terrible strain on nephrology nurses because, as you probably heard in the media, um, acute kidney injury was very common in COVID patients in the beginning, and there was not enough machines to use in the hospital. There was not enough trained nephrology nurses to use those machines. So um, it's it should be at the top of mind for everybody that's working in healthcare. Yeah, thanks for all those points. And one of the things you mentioned, and this would be in a whole hour conversation in and of itself, we've talked about this on the show a tiny bit here and there, is that yes, we need more nursing faculty and we need to pay them more so that their salaries are commensurate with working in the clinical space. Because if people have to take a huge pay cut to teach, why would they want to teach? You know, so that's. That's a whole nother can of worms, <laughs> but I think some legislation or something out there would help us in terms of that particular piece of the puzzle, because we do need more professors and clinical faculty, but we have to pay them and they deserve to be paid well. Just saying, if they're training our future nurses, then they should get compensated for that hard work that they do as educators. So. Yeah. So Angie, before we go, I have four quick questions. I ask all my guests at the end of our conversation. So you game for a few extra questions? Sure. Okay. 
So the first one is, how do you define success personally and or professionally? Success for me uh, means when I get up in the morning, I accomplish the majority of the tasks that I set out to do. I think um, I think sometimes we place unrealistic expectations. Uh, but if I can accomplish most of what I set out to do in the course of a day, then I see that as a successful day. For my profession and my career overall, I have achieved pretty much everything I wanted to achieve. I wanted to be an author. I've wanted to be president of this great association for a very long time. Um, I wanted to be on a board. I wanted to be the director of nursing. And so, you know, I've, I've done, I've achieved what I set out to achieve. And now for me, success would look like giving back to the next generation. That's, that will be the next thing on the agenda. So. That's lovely. That's really nice. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, the next one is, could you name, or if you don't want to name them, just describe them one person in your life who's really inspired you in the course of your life. They can be living, they can be dead, they can be famous, and they could, or they could be someone none of us have ever met before or heard of. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've really been lucky in my career in that I've had wonderful uh, supervisors as mentors. They, I've really been very lucky. And I think uh, the success of people sometimes depends on who mentors you through the way, through the good and the bad. Uh, but my nurse mentor was the professor that I actually mentioned earlier about choosing case management as a degree. She, um, and she is no longer with us, but she was an amazing individual, very sort of abrupt, but tender all at the same time. And she was so nurturing and supportive and encouraging and going through, um, and you mentioned this earlier, going through education through the master's and the school, it's hard work. And, you know, if you have a family and you have a career and you're trying to balance all three things, she was always very encouraging and very nurturing to see me through. And she was actually the reason that I went on to get my DMP. Uh, the DMP was just becoming popular. So I was in the second graduating class at Alabama, at the University of Alabama for the DMP. And the year before when I graduated, I saw her hooding these people for their doctorate. And I said, I need to have one of those hoods. And I wanted it to come from her. And so um, that was really one of the reasons that I wanted to achieve my doctorate. There were other reasons, but that was one, so. That's really great. That's nice. We all need people like that in our lives, and some of us are lucky enough to have one. So the next question is, is there a book or a movie, doesn't have to be an absolute favorite, that's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life? Um, you know, many years ago, when I first started in some of the leadership activities, um, you know, went through the the fish philosophy, and I think I think that that was um, an eye opener for me as a leader. But the so I would say that fish philosophy is one. The other one I would actually say is Who Moved My Cheese. You know, it's a oh yeah. I love that book. I still love it today. I think that you know we have people who still want to hem and haw. Um, and so I would recommend either of those to anyone. They're quick reads and they're, they're funny and engaging and they make you think. Yeah. Who moved my cheese? I remember that one. It's sort of about leadership and organizational psychology and the fish philosophy. I don't, haven't heard of that one, but that sounds interesting. So the fish philosophy was actually started um, or developed as a result of the fish market in Seattle, Washington. So you should check it out. It was it's quite interesting. It's a leadership book too. So oh, okay. All right. And the last question is: what's one piece of advice you would give 18-year-old Angie right now, if you could, whether you think she would listen or not? <laughs> uh, I've thought a lot about that. Um, so I would say believe in yourself. You know, you are the expert of your own skills and no one else. 
you are the expert of you. But I hope she would listen. <laughs> and I, I would hope that she would listen. That's right. Yeah. Well, Angie, thank you so much, Dr. Angie Kurosaka. And I really appreciate this and happy Nephrology Nurses Week to you and all your brethren. And thank you so much for gracing our airwaves and bringing your wisdom and leadership and, you know, your knowledge about this great specialty to the Nurse Keith Show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes can be found over at nursekeith.com and the podcast drop-down menu. And please go to annanurse.org. That's A-N-N-A nurse.org to learn all about the American Nephrology Nurses Association. If you need personalized holistic career coaching, please consider looking no further than nursekeith.com and you can get a 10% discount on your first coaching package if you mention the show. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash nursekeith. $2 a month really does a lot to help the show hum along and if you want to avail yourself of some cool prizes and premiums you can choose to pledge more so head over to patreon to check that out we are a proud member of the health podcast network at healthpodcastnetwork.com there are lots and lots of great shows over there i recommend it for leadership technology nursing medicine there's a lot of listening to do so head to healthpodcastnetwork.com we're adroitly produced by rob johnston of 520r podcasting and mark cappy Speason is our stalwart social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler before we say goodbye i'll leave you with this quote by the musician robert fripp one of my favorite quotes may my living honor my parents May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Dr. Angie Kurosaka saying arrivederci from Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you, Dr. Kurosaka. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. Mm-hmm.